Welcome to episode 29 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building comic stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we are going to discuss the recent movies Captain Marvel, Shazam, and Hellboy. This is Matt's co-host Noah, and I am joined by my wife, Rebecca. Say hi, Rebecca. Hi. Matt wasn't able to join us tonight because he's caught up with his family life, but he will be represented in spirit as he came up with all of the talking points for the episode. So, like I said at the beginning, we're going to discuss Captain Marvel, Shazam, and Hellboy. This is your final warning. We're going to spoil the hell out of these movies. Heck yes, we are. Yes. So, that's your warning. And um, now we're just going to dive right in. So, Rebecca, just your thoughts in general on all three movies. Um, what do you think is the... They all came out in a very close proximity to each other. So, the, you know, comparison was inevitable i think also oh, yeah. from people who read comics and go to see comic book movies but what are your thoughts well um i really enjoyed seeing all three for sure um some more than others i definitely have strong opinions about you know <laughs> some of them versus others um but yeah all three were generally enjoyable experiences i would say so too because there wasn't one that I found to be, like, I regretted seeing in theaters. No, yeah. All e of them are great. Yeah, even as bad as Hellboy, which we used to <laughs> just throw it under the bus at the yeah, beginning Yeah, right it's here. just, it was bad. <laughs> as bad as Hellboy is, you know, it wasn't, I don't regret paying the money to see it. No, no. Because, I mean, yeah. it's, it's Hellboy, and especially if you're a fan of, like, the other two movies and the other comics, like, you yeah. have to see it. Like, yeah. For sure. I think, I think we're both going to talk about Shazam. Mostly, which mm -hmm. I think Matt's going to be really upset about since he's <laughs> such a Marvel fan when he listens to this episode, that we don't talk about Captain Marvel yeah. more. But we're going to talk about Captain Marvel oh, yeah. as well. But the you DC and I... fans, yeah, yeah we're yeah, taking over. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, yeah, you're more of a DC fan than yeah, you are a yeah. Marvel fan. But I'm not, I'm not, I don't go either way. I don't, I don't swing that way. <laughs> I, I'm more of a, you know, I, I like to say that my favorite superhero is Superman, but the superhero I'd always want to be is Spider-Man. Yeah. So like that's sort of where I fall on the Marvel DC front, but okay, mm -hmm. let's just jump into the, jump into the credits um, that for each movie. So Captain Marvel came out first on March 8th. We saw that first mm -hmm. in IMAX, which was awesome. Yes, it was. Um, it was directed by Anna Bowden and Brian Fleck. Pretty great to have two directors who mostly had done independent stuff before Captain Marvel. So like Taika Waititi on Thor Ragnarok or James Gunn on Guardians of the Galaxy. This was sort of someone from indie films making their huge blockbuster debut with a Marvel film. Um, and it was written by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, the directors, um, Geneva Robertson DeWart, uh, Nicole Perlman, Meg Lefeuve. And then that's it as far as the screenwriting credits. Uh, Shazam was directed by David F. Samberg, and it was written by Henry Gaydon and Derek, Darren Lemke. Um, it was created, of course, you know, Shazam was created by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck. Um, and Hellboy was directed by Neil Marshall, who I, I did, I had some experience with his directing before just on watching TV shows that he directed. And it was written by Andrew Cosby with, of course, characters and comics based off of created by Mike Mignola. Um, so let's just jump into what Matt had wanted us to discuss on this episode. So um, what went right with each movie? Let's start off with Captain Marvel. Again, when you go to see a Marvel film, I think it's just inevitable that you're going to have a good time. Oh, at yeah. It. Oh, yeah. You know, so 
that's sort of the inevitability. What was right about it, and I think is also what was wrong about it. Mm-hmm. What was right about it? It was it was a Marvel film across the board. Yeah, incredibly entertaining. It was. It was amazing, amazing to see on the big screen. Amazing to yeah. see on the big screen, like every Marvel film is. Mm-hmm. But I also think that will play into what was wrong with it as well. Yeah. But Captain Marvel, I think what was right also was that um, everybody had an arc in the mm-hmm. movie. I think Carol Danvers definitely had an arc. Nick Fury had an arc. It was, it was as much an origin story for Captain Marvel as a, I'm sorry. It was much an origin story for Nick Fury as it was for Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. I, I yeah. enjoyed that part a lot. I will get to what was bad about that with <laughs> Nick Fury when we come up to it, but everyone has an arc down to um, her best friend. Maria Rambo mm-hmm. has an arc, uh, especially the, the crawl, the scroll who you think is the bad guy. Yeah. Um, played by Ben Mendelsohn, who's the bad guy in every blockbuster, but <laughs> I, I can't help but enjoy him. Um, for the listeners who don't know Ben Mendelsohn, he was the villain in uh, Star Wars Rogue One, which me and Rebecca have great memories seeing. Heck yeah. And he was the bad guy in Ready Player One, which was another one I have great memories of seeing. Yeah, but, me, I have, I, but, actually, I have grown to like Ready Player but One. But he's good but, in that Yeah, movie. he's very, he's very good. He's probably one of the best parts mm-hmm. is him, his bad guy in that. So when I saw that he was going to be in this movie, I was excited because I'm like, yeah, he's going to be a great bad guy. Yeah. But again, we, we told you at the beginning, spoiler alert, you should have jumped ship then. <laughs> he's not the bad guy in this movie. Who we perceive to be the good mentor character um, is Jude Law, mm-hmm. um, who's the Kree soldier that takes in um, Captain Marvel at the beginning. We think that he's sort of going to be the moral high ground or the morally high character, sort of the obi-wan kenobi to the story but he ends up being the darth vader and who we think is darth vader is actually the obi-wan kenobi and that's the scroll leader and he's the sympathetic one which rebecca doesn't know this it plays against comic tropes which i think is a positive thing about the movie okay so in the marvel comics the scrolls are infamously the bad guys yeah, I remember you talking about that and hearing yeah. other people say the same thing. Yeah, so yeah. the scrolls are infamously the ones that are like the the invaders, you know, that yeah. like, you know, they don't look like us, but they want to look like us and they want to take over our bodies and stuff. Right. They're the body snatchers. So that is pretty cool since like, especially yeah. if you're like a comics fan and you're like going in there being like, oh, I love Captain Marvel in the comics. It's just like a complete like, what? Like yeah. they were actually, you know, the good guys. Like it's not a completely... It's completely against what the comics did. Before. Yeah, it's it's um it's completely against what the comics did, but it has a good point. And I think the scrolls were invented around you know I think if you want to look at it in a political context and stuff like that, it would kind of be bad for like you know to have the central villains be the the people who don't look like us but want to be like us be the bad guys. That's kind of a taboo subject, yeah. you know. Um, politically, like if you want to draw comparisons and stuff like that, especially in a post-Black Panther world, Mm -hmm. which was as political as Marvel would get, that kind of thing. I think it was a smart choice to be like, well, just because they don't look like us, but they want to be a part of society or something like that, you know, it kind of has that like uh, Cold War fear, like the the idea of the scrolls have that like Cold War fear behind them, you know, because it comes out of that body snatchers idea where it's like, the commies are infiltrating us. They look <laughs> like us, taking over our bodies and stuff. Um, but I won't go, won't go down my rabbit trail of that. But I like the the idea of the scrolls in Captain Marvel are 
is that the reason why they shape shift is because they're being hunted, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because they are the outcasts It's because they're being um, oppressed by a, uh, a master race of Cree or, you know, a supposed master race that are trying to, you know, make them step in line with their government and their supreme intelligence. So I like that part of it. Uh, that might actually be my favorite part of the movie is the scrolls. I'm also a stickler. That's sort of one of the reasons why I enjoyed Hellboy. And um, I like creatures, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought the scrolls looked really cool. They, they did look really cool. The makeup and that it was actual prosthetic makeup and not CGI was great to see. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I liked seeing that. Um, I also liked that they were good guys in the end, not bad guys. I'm always happy with that kind of twist. Um, I also think what they did right with this is Captain Marvel's costume. One of the coolest looking superhero costumes in Marvel, I think. But what do you think? Eh, yeah. like it was okay. It, it's, yeah. it could have been bad. It, to me, it was a little boring actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What, what was boring about it? Just the uniform aspect Yeah, of it? I mean, it's a uniform. It's regular, you know, blue, red, and, you know, it's just like, you it's, I don't know. It's it's just not very unique, I would say. I like how it was, uh, it was more in line of what Captain America's costume is than like well, Black yeah. Widow, you know, or something like but that. The thing is, it's too much like Captain America. You like think it's, so? Yeah, because it reminds me of that. And I'm like, again, just unoriginal. Yeah. I like, I, I'm always a fan of the, the art direction on these movies. I've, I've loved the concept art books and everything as far as what goes into the pre-production on these movies. I think that's where the real artistry happens with mm-hmm. all these films. It's the great, uh, the great um, pre-production artwork and the, the costume design and the set design. Um, probably my favorite part, and I wish it was more in the movie, was when she was with her Cree platoon at mm-hmm. the beginning and they're going to find the scrolls hiding on that one planet. Yeah. And you get to see all the, uh, the other Cree team doing their things and you get to see like how their costumes integrate with their special skills and stuff. Um, my favorite one of course being, um, uh, what's her name from crazy rich Asians. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, Oh my goodness. uh, I don't remember what her name was in this movie, but Uh, she was so cool. She was, she was like one of the best characters. Yeah. Of course I love her as an actress. She's, she's one of my favorites. I wish she was a bigger character. I Mm -hmm. think if I, we'll get to it actually. So we'll get to it later, but I wish she was a bigger character. She was so cool. She died too soon. I was so hoping that they, wait, what? She wasn't died. She didn't die in the end. No, she, no one, I don't think anyone on her team died. Oh, wow. At the end. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm very, I'm 100% okay. sure. Cause <laughs> yeah, I that's said, my bad. I, I, yeah. I said, I hope she returns. I don't know why I thought she died. If they do another Captain Marvel, I hope she returns. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I would go see that movie just for her. Yeah, and you know, Jude Law lived until the end. So I think all the, all the, prote- all the antagonists are still alive at the end of this mm. film. Um, basically the only antagonists that die are the ones that are sort of the nameless few in a spaceship that Captain Marvel blows up at the end. Right. Um, I, yeah. Okay. So what we think we talked about what was great with that movie. Um, but I think what we want to get to the best, maybe, okay. After what I think the scrolls, the next best part of it is we can say it together. The cat. You know, of course, of yes. course, yes. The, the the cat was hands down the best part of that entire goose. Film. Yeah, yes. the <laughs> one character I can remember besides Carol Danvers and Nick Fury 
is goose. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you know, um, it was just every moment that cat that goose was on screen, yeah. just my I could feel my my lips turning up into this this like grin of pure joy. Yes. Yes, I loved it. Um, being a new cat owner and cat lover, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> It was just like, I love this so yeah, much. Yeah, just see the cat, it's like, oh, it's Ripley. <laughs> yeah, Ripley, our cat, uh, our kitten, who is a monster herself. She is. She would totally rip your face off. Yes. Like Goose if she could. Yeah, yeah. She um, yeah, she just doesn't have the tentacles or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She tries, though. Oh, she yeah. really tries. Yeah, yeah. She would love to have that power. Mm-hmm. Um, so Goose... They did that perfectly. They did. Yeah, Goose was done perfectly. I think also, you know, I think something that I don't hear as much. I think people uh, sort of went to go see it and didn't think so much about the movie as much as like, oh my gosh, what's she going to do in Endgame? I think that was yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. So that sort of took away from sort of focusing on what was good about the movie. Because mm-hmm. you're constantly hunting through the movie being like, yeah. okay, let, what what's the clues? Like, what's she going to do? Like, how's she yeah. going to resolve this Is issue? Is she going to be the one to kill Thanos? That yeah. kind of stuff, you know? Um, and I think that distracts from sort of the other bold things in this movie. Um, action was about on par with sort of your uh, maybe average Marvel film, mm-hmm. you know? I actually remember really liking the action, especially I like the, the beginning. Like the tra- yeah, the training. Tra- yeah. The the training is cool, but I also like the scene on the train where she's hunting, chasing after the scroll, mm-hmm. and um, Nick Fury's chasing the train in his car. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite action sequence. After that, it's sort of hit or miss. I think um, yeah, they sort of have lackluster, but we'll get to that when we talk about what was wrong with it. But I think one thing that um, this movie does that not a lot of other Marvel films do is it has this um, uh, non-chronological order, like non-linear oh, storytelling yeah, with the flashbacks and sort of this montage where Carol's trying to figure out her life. Right. Um, I really like that. Um, that was done pretty well, especially because, really well, yeah. um, you know, since she's, it's like the audience is trying to figure it out, out yeah. along with her. Yeah. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's very Christopher Nolan like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. so it's very um it's a lot like Batman Begins where you except with, you know, Batman Be- Begins we are, we know who Batman is, we know his background and mm-hmm. stuff like that. With this movie, the mainstream audience doesn't know who Captain Marvel is yeah. really, unless you're a super nerd. Even I don't know much about Captain Marvel. I didn't know anything really going in. So that was great to have sort of a like this being sort of what I see as the origin story. I mean, I know a little bit just some things about Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers, but it wasn't what this movie told me. So it was really great to go in and have this sort of nonlinear way of figuring out what, what her past is all about. Yeah. So that was cool. It was, I think that was a fresh way of doing a, an origin story. Okay. I think we've talked about what was good about Captain Marvel. I think we'll probably come back to it. And yeah. The other topics, but um, what did Shazam do right? <laughs> I think, everything yeah this (laughs) everything yeah this is pretty easy to talk about so let's just start from the beginning of the movie you know it opens on not billy batson Mm -hmm. not shazam the wizard it opens on the villain yeah thaddeus savannah who's gonna be the big you know the big bad guy for Mm -hmm. the whole movie but it starts out with him as a little kid and it sets up his story arc for the rest of the movie yeah and how he parallels billy right and um you get to see just how 
like, you know, he's fueled not by, you know, material, but just out of emotion. Yeah. And you can get that because his dad is just jerk to him. Well, and his brother too. And, and, his, brother. and his dad allows his brother to be a yeah. jerk, which is like even worse. But you get all that information within like the first five minutes yeah. of the film. And not you, to mention that they're also, which is like another little thing, is that they're also setting it up with that the background music as yes. well. With, um, yeah. uh, can you hear what I hear? Yeah, do you see what do, I see? Sorry, do you see what I see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. do you see what I see, which is, um, it fits with the story because Thad's in the car with his family, his brother and his dad, and all of a sudden he gets teleported to Shazam's realm where Shazam tests him and Thaddeus gets told by Shazam, you're not good enough because he lets in the seven deadly sins into yeah. his brain too easily. And then he comes back into the car and do you hear what I, like, do you see what I see is playing. And Thaddeus is basically saying that to his dad, like, did you see what I saw? Yeah. Like, did you hear it? That kind of thing. And it's like, that's just a good director, like and paying attention to like, we're going to have background music in this part. Why don't we have it enhance the story? It line? needs to make sense. And then yeah. it's also talking about it as like a special child, yes. you know, in the background too. And it's, yeah, yeah a child. Oh, yeah. In child, the night. Child. Yeah. Yeah. And it also it sets up when it starts at Christmas time. It ends, it, the whole movie basically takes place during Christmas time. Yeah. For the Which whole again is like good, like coming back to yeah. the beginning of where it started. It's Yeah. It fits with it. And I'm wondering if this movie wasn't originally supposed to come out last year and Aquaman was supposed to come out during the springtime. That would make sense yeah. considering. I wonder if they weren't swapped at some point. Does make you wonder. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but then it goes on to introducing Billy, and um, they don't waste time just through action introducing him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Asher Angel, who plays Billy, marvelous. Yeah, he's a great actor. actor. Hope he goes on to do great things in the future. Um, I think we should talk about like some of the great Easter eggs that they start out at the beginning. Uh, the thrift store, the, like the pawn shop that Billy locks the two cops in at the mm -hmm. beginning, has like Annabelle. Yeah. On one of the shelves, and that's a call to David F. Sandberg's. One of his movies was uh, Annabelle creation. Uh, but then it followed up by another scene, which really made me happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy's in a social worker's office, and the it's really great. And again, nothing about this movie. Color, so good. Oh, yeah. Um, and just scene to scene, how they use color. And in the social worker's office, there's this yellow theme with her. So the social worker is wearing yellow and she has all these smiley faces on her desk. Mm -hmm. And the greatest Easter egg is, is that one of them has the blood stain on it, like the Watchmen button. And I just peed my pants when I noticed that. <laughs> I was like, oh, Watchmen! It was so great. Like he was like, Rebecca, Rebecca, look, do you see what's on the desk? Do you see what's on the desk? It's yeah. Watchmen! It's Watchmen! Yeah. It was like the, the whole best. theater was like, get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It was pretty awesome, though. But that goes into the color conversation because everybody wears a color that is directly associated with their character. Of course, Thaddeus Savannah is the bad guy, so he wears, he wears black the yeah. whole time, which is great. Great comic book storytelling is the bad guys wear black. Mm -hmm. um, but Billy always has that red hoodie. It's very iconic. It sort of sets him apart so that in a crowd of people, you know that's Billy because he's wearing his red hoodie. Um, and then there's um, all his other uh, foster siblings and all of them wear colors that correspond later with when they get imbued with the, the power of Shazam. Yeah. 
and that is it's very subtle awesome. though like yes. that especially the second time we watched it like i was kind of looking at that yeah. and i was like wow they really i mean they did set it up that way but it was very subtle it wasn't like a blatant this person's no. color is pink this per you know they they did different shades of it and they yeah. incorporated it with different um touches so that it wasn't like super super obvious yeah like you know this movie was uh was probably the most colorful live action superhero film I've seen in a in a suitable way. I would say Black Panther last year did a good job yeah. of color coding characters as well. You know, like with T'Challa's always wearing black and um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character is always wearing green, mm -hmm. and then Okoye is always wearing red and stuff like that. You know, and their colors fade on depending on where they are in their story. And I would say there's a similar thing in this movie as well yeah. that their the colors and the you know how much Billy's hoodie is covered up depends on where his character is at and you know yeah. to show where he's is and that comes into the great theming of the story with freddie and freddie is basically the meta narrator of the whole movie mm -hmm. um because he starts the conversation on what's great about superheroes what a superhero should be yeah that that, that billy grows into being mm -hmm. you know and that question of like hey if you're a superhero would you yes would you like flight or invisibility and right. then he like goes into this whole whole monologue about that yeah and like yeah the, but the idea of it you know he has the jokes and sort of it's a great thing about the script is that it's masked in this sort of fun dialogue um but he says uh you know people if you ask them outright they'd say flight because they want to be perceived as heroes mm -hmm. you know but if you ask them in quiet they'd say invisibility he makes a joke about like because well, both people are pervs it's like <laughs> he's like but no actually most people don't feel that they are heroic you know? Yeah. Or that they don't deserve to be heroic. And uh, that's Billy's story. Yeah. You know? And that at the end when he's he's happy to be seen and he's flying, but he's using his powers for the wrong thing. But as soon as the responsibility of being a hero comes to face him, he's like, I don't want to be Shazam anymore. I just want to be Billy. That yeah. Kind of thing. He tries to turn invisible. He tries to turn invisible. Which he has been his whole life. And that's how he feels. Because, yeah. you know, he's looking for his mom, you know, him being lost in the crowd, you know, as a child and stuff like that. It's just... Which is another cool thing that this movie did that's similar to Captain Marvel and that with the flashbacks yeah. and the mystery, like, they really did that well, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great with this movie and with Captain Marvel is that um, it plays with the idea of memories uh, being altered through yeah. time. And in Captain Marvel, it's more the Kree alter her memories. And yeah. that's sort of like, you know, that's how she remembers it. But like, you know, her memory is a key to things. But it's more of a plot thing. Um, it's sometimes it's an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. The emotional things don't change, though. That just sort of informs who she is in this movie. Right. But in this one, it's all emotional and character driven, his yeah. flashbacks. So he has a flashback of his mom. It's really fluffy. And happy, it's happy. And it's, it's like more typical superhero, like superhero mom kind of thing, you know. Yeah, it's like they are the perfect person yes. in their eyes, yes. and you know. Yeah, and she's just so light and like you know ideal. And um, then when he meets her later, they they reshow the flashback of yeah. how it really was, and she's just sort from of her a, perspective. <laughs> from her perspective, yeah. she's an emotionally damaged person. Who's tired? Who's neglectful? Who's tired? Been abused? Yeah. Um, and who's basically abandons her son. Yeah. You know, but again, this movie establishes characters so fast that it doesn't feel forced at all. And mm -hmm. so much of it is done in showing and not telling. Yeah. I think that also helps with the, pro the performances from the characters. 
uh, how the movie is shot. It's just a really good show, not tell movie. Mm-hmm. And that not be that being said, it's got great dialogue. You yeah, know, it's probably the funniest superhero film I've seen since uh, Thor Ragnarok or Guardians Volume Two. Where yeah, it's like, this it is, is really funny. This is a very funny superhero film. But at the same time, it's like they have so much humor, but they pack so much foreshadowing yes. and everything. Like what you're talking yeah. about, like with Freddy and like. Uh, going blank here, but they do yeah. like all through the movie. You can see like all this foreshadowing that they're just they just naturally bring in, and you don't even realize that until after you finished it or watched it again. Um, what was fun, you know, watching it again was um, knowing how the movie ends and going through and hearing all the dialogue again. It's like, oh my goodness, that was totally pointing to what's about to happen here. And yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, it's a it's a great movie. We could we could devote a whole podcast episode to talking about Shazam. Seriously, I would say if there's one movie worth seeking out in theaters right now, it's Shazam. Yeah, it's uh it's so fun, it's so heartwarming. It it reminds you, you know, if you're getting that superhero fatigue, I, this one like mm-hmm. resparked my flame of like that's why we like superheroes. Yeah, this is why we go to the movies to see them. It has very much of a Stranger Things vibe in a way. Yeah. I mean, not the horror part of it, but definitely the kids well, and the camaraderie and yeah. um, the emotional side of it and the the really um, the funniness, I guess. Yeah, well, there's a there's a there's a callback to older movies that like you know yeah. Stranger Things yeah. is it's it's a spiritual sort of like remake of movies from the eighties. A lot mm-hmm. of people have been saying that too, because it's not afraid to be scary, right. you know. I think that's David F. Sandberg. He's mostly done. He's this is his first like non horror film that he's ever directed. So that makes sense. Yeah, you know that like he does the scary stuff really well. Like the Seven Deadly Sins, their design as monsters and yep, they're terrifying. They're terrifying. They're really well done. He does a good job of raising the stakes with these little kids. So mm-hmm. it has sort of a poltergeist, uh, ET feeling where it's like you're, it's not afraid to put these little kids in danger against scary monsters. Um, again, I guess Monster Squad, I think that's the big one I've never seen, but I know that movie's a big one as far as like, you know, a big eighties film where little kids are like on life or death situations against giant monsters and stuff. Um, so yeah, but it's not, it's not, doesn't play on nostalgia. It doesn't take time to be like, like, oh, remember this from the 80s or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, because like, it's modern day, yeah. but it still almost has like the back to the future type of vibe. Yeah. Where like, it's like just really fun, but the stakes are high. Yeah, so you like know? it doesn't, it would have felt weird if it had gone Stranger Things or It route where yeah. it's like constantly throwing references back to the 80s or something like that. Mm-hmm. It does it better by inserting it into the narrative in clever ways of like, okay, you know, this sort of feels like, like you know et or poltergeist um i think it's more like the energy of it yeah it's got the energy it's it's a movie that takes its time also Mm -hmm. never feels rushed it's a movie that definitely takes its time to set up the characters and again like but what i talked about like how fast it does it Mm -hmm. without feeling yeah it doesn't waste time it just packs everything beautifully (laughs) really well paced yeah. yeah um but it does do one callback to a movie that's very similar to this, and that's big. And it's yes, hilarious. that was awesome. The big reference is I loved that. so funny. I won't even try to ruin <laughs> it in this thing, but it's like it's very fast, but it's so funny. And it's not even like a it's not even a reference that takes a long time to be like, this is a big reference. Like only people who are familiar with big, then like making the correlation are gonna catch it. And it's pretty great. 
Um, again, we could talk about this movie all day from its, you know, costume design, how it's shot, its music choices, you know. Well, one other thing I will say before we move on about this that I really, really appreciate about this movie is it wasn't afraid to go to the point where you, okay, so you have like the scene where he's like talking to his mom and he finally sees her after all this point or after all this time. And there's the big reveal of, oh yeah, um, I left you on purpose. Yeah. I thought the police would do a better job and the state would do a better job of taking care of you than I ever would, than I ever would. So looks like you're doing good. You landed on your feet, right? You know, you're, you're good, right? Um, sorry, I can't really talk. I've got a deadbeat boyfriend that I have to get back to, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like a, oh, like it really punches you in the gut. And I really didn't expect them to no, go there. No, I, and that's a lot of respect for me um, for them doing that because, yeah, it's just... Playing with that idea. That's a lot of depth. Well, that, that, that subverts the superhero movie expectation, mm-hmm. especially in the DC universe because we had a whole freaking movie in Batman versus Superman that was hinged on the two superheroes' moms. Yeah. And, like, them being, and how like... Perfect how perfect they are. perfect and they are. And, like, they're the ones we need to save. They're the victims and, of tragedy but and that's, stuff. But that's DC, though. Actually, every DC movie in this extended universe is focused on the characters' mothers as being an important part. Even Wonder Woman does yeah, that. Yeah, actually, you're right. That's Aquaman a good point. Aquaman does it. Yeah. This movie where it's like, no, moms can be trashy too. Yeah. That kind of thing. And it's like, no, like, it's, this is a really empowering film uh, for anyone who sees themselves in Billy Batson. And, you know, if you can't see yourself in a main character, look, that's not a good movie. So I think everybody will see themselves in Billy Batson at some, yeah. and in some uh, way or other where it's like, yeah, you know, you are more than your parents, you know, or more than your situation. Yeah. And, uh, it's so real. Like, I mean, I feel like if, if I were, you know, a foster kid or I, I went through something similar to that, like, I would love to see my situation represented on film like this, you know, you, you have sort of a a history with this, with your mother searching out her biological father. Mm -hmm. He basically did what, what the mom yeah, and Shazam did. Pretty much, pretty That's much. That's real, so, you know, um, where it's like, you know, uh, my mother-in-law, Linda, found her biological father and he was like, okay. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Linda's a wonderful woman. She doesn't need, like, you know, that kind of thing. It didn't affect her at all. It was well, just I mean, it like, affected her. It, it was something her. to work through because yeah. you, can, you can't not be affected by something no, no. like that, by your biological parent being like, yeah, I didn't but want she to. does, this movie does like what your mom did. Though, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, but I can be great. Yeah, coming know? to that point of, yeah. you know, letting it, well, learning from it, from it, letting it go, but not letting it define you yeah. and what you're capable of doing. Which again, in a, in a superhero universe where that's all these people are defined by as their parents. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It's Superman's parents sending them to Earth, Batman's parents dying, Wonder Woman's mother sculpting her out of clay yeah, and her father being zeus and, and father <laughs> being zeus aquaman's parents being human and atlantean and this one where it's like no actually, billy batson's worthy on his own merits yep you know that kind of his thing parents like, are very out of the picture yeah, they're very out of the picture he can be a hero without the tragic you know it's a tragic backstory but not in a way we've seen before in a superhero yeah. film so it's really good 
can't say how, like, you know, I just can't say enough how good of a movie it is. And I just really hope uh, more films that like, no, not imitators of this completely, but more films about superheroes are like, okay, we should probably start subverting the narratives more in clever mm-hmm. ways, you know, like this movie did. Yeah. So, all right. Great things about Shazam. Let's get into the really hard one. But a lot in common <laughs> with Shazam in the sense where uh, this is a horror film director, what he's primarily known for. Neil Marshall is primarily known for horror films. So when they were rebooting Hellboy, they were like, well, let's try to go for like, you know, a more hard R-rated superhero film. And yeah. Hellboy has its roots in horror comics. And it's a good horror comic at times, as well as it is a good action comic. And Neil Marshall's good at both um, because I watched one of his films before I saw the film called Wolf Soldiers. And that movie is just not so crazy action horror film about Scottish soldiers fighting werewolves. And it's a great movie. So I was really looking forward to it. Um, I wouldn't say I was disappointed with Hellboy, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it was worth watching all the reviews and listening to all the reviews to get all my disappointment out early just so I could go in and be like, <laughs> yeah. okay, that's what the critics were talking about. Yeah. And then like being able to enjoy the parts that were good. So what did this movie do? Right. I think it did Hellboy. Right. Um, the character. And that's it. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I think that's it, you know, but what is great about this Hellboy, David Harbour, he, he seemed to be like, this just was right up his alley. Yeah. I actually liked him a lot better than I thought it would. Cause I was I I was kind of thinking that he was going to suck after Ron Perlman. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, after the first two films, it's like, is he Hellboy. is Hellboy. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, how do you get better or how do you find someone else to do that role? Um, and when I saw the trailers for it, I was like, I don't think this guy is going to quite make the cut. Like, yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to fall short. And I was actually pleasantly surprised about that he did a good job and he really he really took that character and um made it his own but still was a really really good hellboy yeah he was great great. he you know um knowing the pre-production stuff he trained really hard to be able to fight in it like ron perlman did with his hellboy you know he he worked hard to make his hellboy his own but also to follow knows like new like what Ron Perlman did was good and that he could yeah. carry over onto this character. Yeah. He didn't so try he had, to make it extremely different or he anything. Was like, but yeah. I don't think there was a joke that he made that did it that like, um, that fell flat. I think yeah. every joke he made was funny. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like yeah, he had he great well. comedic timing, like Ron Perlman did, you know, he is like, he was a great wisecracking monster fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the creature design on him was really great. I yeah, thought his prosthetics, yeah. I thought at first I was like, Oh, they're going to inhibit his performance. But, he did a pretty good job performing underneath all the makeup. Yeah, he did. And um, it is a little bit more stiff than Ron yes, Perlman yeah. for sure. There's a lot more piled um, onto his but face. Yeah. I think I remember you telling me that he really worked hard to, you know, practice in yes. all of that beforehand and really get used to it, which I definitely think, you know, helped a lot because yeah. as stiff as it was, like he still was able to act really well despite all of that stuff on him. Yeah, he was great. I think, um, yeah, David Harbour, I think, is the shining hero of this movie. Yeah. Um, I think he, I like it. It's a real shame that the movie's doing so poorly because I'm like, hey, if they could have gotten their crap together to do a sequel, Mm -hmm. I would have gone to see it because I would like to see more of this Hellboy. Yeah. And um, Of him. Of him, yeah. 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 If it was a solo film, (laughs) it could have been a lot better. 
uh, we'll get into what's bad about it real yeah. soon. So I would say Hellboy is really great. I would say there are action sequences that are so well thought out, mm-hmm. really well planned. Yeah. Especially, I think when he fights the when he gets when the Osiris Club turns on him during the hunt. That's a great sequence when oh, yeah. he's being stabbed by all the spears and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then that leading into him fighting the giants was like, I was like, this is worth admission right here. Yeah, exactly. Like the, I'm like, this the giants is, were so epic. The giant scenes, even though the effects weren't that great, it was still well shot. Like I was like, I like this. Mm-hmm. Like this is great right here. Um, it was bloody in all the right ways at that moment and stuff like that. Um, it was great. It was a great action sequence. It was all, it was cut so that like they, they clearly planned it out so that it could be one fluid shot when he's fighting the giants and that just added to the energy of the action sequence. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um, I think the scene where he gets transported into the Baba Yaga's moving house and um, yeah, he's talking with the witch lady in the other realm and stuff uh, like yeah. that. I think that scene's really great because the movie had just been dragging at that point and then it got in and him and interacting with that monster is, is gross. Yeah. It's but really it's, disgusting. But it's like entertainingly gross or it's like, yeah. okay, this well, is cool. It's like horrifying in the way that you can't look away. No. It's like, she's so disgusting. But it's like, that- okay, but we'll get into the bad parts. Like that was purposefully gross and it worked. Yeah. And I was like, this is what the movie should be. And I, was like, I like this. And they have a little fight where the house is moving and the Baba Yaga's crawling around like a crab and yeah. stuff like that. And it's really great. And um, you believe Ron Perlman's like, not Ron Perlman, <laughs> sorry. David Harbour's Hellboy is really upset because he realizes that somehow he's banished her, but she's still able to eat children. And like, you believe his emotion is like, he's really ticked off at her about that. And he's mm-hmm. like, he's going to kill her if she doesn't get away really fast. That seems really great. I would say the final fight between him and the Grugak, like the big pig man was good, but it kept cutting back to the lame characters. And I, yeah. I like, I was like, oh, could you just show us these two monsters fighting, you know, Hellboy and the Grugak? It would have been so much cooler. Um, I like a lot of the shots with him and Excalibur, you mm-hmm. know, with like when it's like on fire and stuff like that, that they yeah. show in the trailers, like those, you know, those speak for themselves as probably the best visuals or when he's carrying the flaming sword. It's really cool. Um, and then the final fight scene at the end is another continuous shot. And I actually do like that. I thought it was a good way to end the movie. I was like, you know, if this was a good movie, this would be a really great ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this scene's really cool. Like him fighting all the cult members and stuff like that. And like, it's, uh, it's really great. Like it's, it was a good ending. And it kind of like, I was like, after just the, dismal failure of so many other things before it you know it was just like it was good um all right so i think that 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 just shows we don't have much good to say about it now to the fun part (laughs) um what went wrong with each movie do you want to just continue with the energy of hellboy what went wrong backwards or we want to start with captain marvel again and then just work with i saw this work backwards just because we're already on you know hellboy so it packed way too much into the movie and it was so bad it was so bad it packed way too much in it tried to and it knew it was bad that was the thing because it tried to insert pop music in there like it would help improve the film no and it doesn't it It doesn't it's just i hate when movies do that too it's like well just because you have uh you know i can't even remember it's so forgettably bad that kind of thing some of the music that they have in there and also, I'm like, you paid money 
to get the rights to these songs to put into this movie where you have effects that are clearly not finished. Yeah. Like, why aren't you putting that money towards finishing off these visual effects? Yeah, they put money into all the wrong places. Yeah, it's like, it's like you put, you paid so many royalties to get these stupid pop songs in there. Whereas again, okay, here's something interesting. Uh, ben Walfish composed a score for Shazam and Hellboy. Okay. And I thought the score in Hellboy wasn't bad at times. No, no. I'm like, so why don't you just trust his score to be good? Instead you know, of like instead of trying to put this, like shoving yeah. all these pop songs that have to do with yeah, nothing. you paid Ben Walfish to make a been... score, and he did a good job yeah. at it. Don't you? Why don't you just trust him and not try to cover up your mess with bad with pop songs, and then put that money towards visual effects? Well, um, if my memory serves me correct, there was also like a really really fancy credits yeah. sequence too. That again was just like. Why the heck are you putting all of this money into the credits? Let's look at the, when you the two of the highest grossing superhero films of all time. Mm-hmm. The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Right. Neither of them have credit sequences in there because yes. they don't, they're not always needed. You know, it's like, I don't get why it's like, oh, because Marvel does credit sequences. We have to put our credit sequence in at the end or something like that or at the beginning or whatever. Yeah. No, you don't. Well, not only that, but if you only have so much money yeah. and this main part of the movie that's really freaking important really needs, you know, more money to help it look better, going to choose that or are you going to choose Nah, I think we're going to have really, really cool credits. So we're going to have a horrible movie, but if we have a really good credit sequence, then people should forget yeah, all it's, about it's, that. It's <laughs> such a mistake, and it's so clear on, on screen the choices that were being made were bad. Yeah. Um, and we could talk about the... Well, okay, so let's talk about bad, the, the acting of the character Alice and um, Daimyo. Uh, both American actors, uh, both doing... Awful British accent. Yeah, neither of them could do it. Again, and I'm someone like I'm someone who doesn't pick out bad accents as well as Noah does. And even I was just like, ooh. Well, especially ooh. yeah. Well, okay, especially when you're like, you could have hired an. Well, also Alice in the comics is Irish, so that means oh. she did such a bad job with an <laughs> Irish accent they made her British. And what? her parents are in the flashback are even Irish. Really? So, oh, yeah. I didn't even catch yeah. that. Yeah. And I'm like, she did such a bad job probably with an Irish accent that they were like, do a British accent. And she was awful. Ben Daimio, again, that actor, he's in uh, Daniel Day Kim. He's in Lost. He was in um, Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, that's Good what actor. I Yeah, yeah I like, like, I've, I've like, liked yeah. him in some other stuff. But yeah, yeah this like one... this one, they didn't give him good lines and he has a bad British accent. Yeah. I'm like, and also I'm like, like what a, how much better this movie would have been if they had hired an, a British Asian actor uh, our favorite one, Henry Golding. <gasps> yes! Like, same, oh my god! At the same time, I'm like, don't drag him into this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, he, like, doesn't, like, he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't need this. to be in this train wreck. Henry doesn't deserve he doesn't. <laughs> At the same time, they yeah. could have hired him. I'm sure he would have come at a similar price because he's just coming up and yeah, being a big yeah. actor. Seriously, and you he know? would have done such... He would have done such a better job. A, oh man, yeah. I would have loved to, see, to have seen him in that role. Like, yeah. I mean, he probably would have made this movie like just having yes. him on board probably would have made this also movie, like, he, he has a natural better. charisma and uh we could we've seen him have a dark side too yeah he's really great in a simple favor exactly so he yeah. could turn into that like really really dark like yeah you could you know, see you could see the two I saw sides my friends die yeah you know side of him um and that would have been that would have been so cool also, to see. i would have loved to seen to have seen him do that when he delivers exposition in crazy rich asians 
and in a simple favor, Henry Golding. You're glued to the screen. Oh yeah. Like he's like, like when he's telling a story, he's great. Because the dialogue, that's not that's leading into my next thing with this movie. The dialogue in this movie is so forced because all of it is explaining things. Yep. All of it is just like we have to explain every single thing. Like I'm like, just show us something for mm-hmm. once. Or they show us something and then they explain it like yeah. we're idiots. Just like, I'm oh, like, just in case you didn't catch this, we're gonna explain it. Like, this everything. is an R-rated film for adults. Yeah. You're not like, and th- let me tell you something. Spider-Verse, a family film, does a better job of showing and not telling in that movie. And that movie's like little kids are gonna go see that. Yeah. You know? Or Incredibles 2 does a better <laughs> job at showing and not telling. This Frozen movie does <laughs> Frozen. I've seen movies that are directly geared to okay, here's the biggest one. Hotel Transylvania 3, which I saw in movies, and it is definitely a kid's movie, does a better job of showing and not telling than this movie. I'm like, this movie thinks we are preschoolers. It was so bad. It is so bad. And then there are scenes where they do this awful film trick that I hate. They cut to a wide, and the character who's talking is clearly dubbed over, and the audio is so clear that it's so obviously not recorded on set. And it was placed in last minute. Like the producers were watching a cut of the film and were like, I don't get it. Put in some explaining ding ding here. Ew. And it's it's bad. Like, and you can tell because they like make these drastic cuts and they're having like normal conversation, like, How are you, Hellboy? I'm doing good. And then it's like, and we're here in Ireland. That kind yeah. of thing. Isn't it like, beautiful in Ireland today? Yeah. Dublin is such a great place this time yes, of year. It's so bad. Um, and, you know, God bless everyone who was in this movie because they are trying. Yeah. You know? They, they didn't have much to work with. Like, the script was off. And I think that's like, sort of what makes this movie watchable, though, is that everybody's giving a crap on screen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got the two that can't do British accents, but... At least they're trying. At least, yeah, that's true. At least they're trying, yeah. and at least they're trying to work with what they have, which is they're trying really not, not much. much. And same thing, like, you know, David Harbour gives a good performance with what he's got. Mm-hmm. Ian McShane is going to give him a good performance. Like, you know, you give oh, yeah. him the hungry, hungry caterpillar, and he'll make you cry. That kind of thing. You know, it's like, yeah. he's such a good actor. He was great. Um, acted through the horrible special effects at the end, but it still wasn't <laughs> enough to save that moment. Um, yeah, let's just yeah, talk let's about that now. <laughs> Get to that part. There's a visual effect in the movie where Alice Monaghan summons ghosts by touching dead bodies and vomiting them up, and they're like mucusy, phlegmy, genie bodies yeah that's like coming out of her, throat. her throat and they're 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 dripping in like phlegm and like they're like tissue. this weird gray yeah but then color. their heads are normal yeah it's like their and heads like pasted and then they're, onto these gross yeah their bodies like dissolve into mucus they look like yeah fetuses yeah and it's disgusting it is like it is the first the time they worst. do it first time you do it you're like they do it with the lady in the mm-hmm. one house. It's like, that's gross. And then you kind of think like, oh, it's supposed to be gross. Yeah. But at the end, it's such a disappointment because it's like, this is supposed to be an emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Broom's death is sort of a, a key opponent, component in Hellboy making a choice. Yeah. Like destroy the world, fight against the blood queen, that kind of thing. So they bring him back to, for him to be like, don't do it, Hellboy. 
You're better but than But I this. had my eyes closed because I couldn't stand the visual effect. Yeah. And I wasn't listening because I was screaming, why, God, why? This is so I was gross. like, I was hiding behind like, you for that. Yeah, yeah, you were. I was, like, I, think... I was just like, oh. So if you do see this movie, don't eat anything don't. before you go. Yeah. Don't be eating don't anything <laughs> as you're watching it because you will want to puke. And the, the, them putting the faces onto these horrific bodies, like, you know, there's the uncanny valley, but this is like the uncanny continent. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just awful. Um, I literally screamed out at the end, uh, this movie's so bad, but I like it, of course. Um, this movie's so bad, but at the end, they have a, a one of the mid-credit sequences is um, Abe Sapien reaching his hand out yeah. um at the end and i literally screamed out don't bring him into this <laughs> i'm like i love him too much and then at the end they have another mid-credit sequence with lobster johnson which i would say i would take that back also one of the things that were great lobster johnson the nazi hunter during the flashback mm-hmm. i love him like he was great um they have that great scene that scene was great in the mid-credit sequence but then the final credit sequence they have like a introducing a new villain thing and i said out loud oh cute they think there's gonna be a sequel <laughs> and like i'm like no it's so true yeah it's... all right this movie's bad yeah like you know see it if you want to but, but read all the reviews you can yeah be warned yeah. i mean even i was like i was biting my knuckles like halfway through this and i was just like breathe, yeah breathe. <laughs> it's bad all so, right yeah. what what's bad about shazam and i've Okay, this movie, disclaimer, we've seen this one the most out of all three yeah. of these movies. Because we um, love it. And on the third time, I was trying, I was seeing some of the stuff that is kind of bad. Mm-hmm. I would say of the performances, that like there are some line readings that are kind of weak, especially from some of the other foster kids um, yeah. in the house. Yeah, I can see that. It's cute the first time, and it sort of gets a chuckle the second time, but after the third time, you're sort of forcing the laugh with some mm-hmm. of the jokes in there. Um, the kids are having a blast, though, oh, you yeah. can tell. I would say the one, the girl who's playing Mary. Um, at times, I'm like, you could have, you could have delivered that tried. line a little better. Yeah, like but the he, other kids. She wasn't bad. She though. wasn't bad, and I thought. Um, uh, we'll talk about this with Captain Marvel. I thought the little girl who played Darla delivered a much more stellar performance than the little girl in Captain Marvel. Yeah, did. yeah, Darla um, was pretty great. Yeah, but the girl who plays Maria Rambo's daughter in Captain Marvel. Whew. Um. I, uh, yeah, the, I would say that was one thing. I would say there's some visual effects that are pretty uh, Toy Story 1-ish <laughs> with like how floppy some of the human animated characters are and stuff like yeah, that I at times. Kind of that. I would say that was probably like maybe the one short fallings of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, those are nitpicky things. Like yeah. really the movie's really good overall. Like I said, there's some performances by some of the younger actors that aren't really quite up to snuff, but this movie's so genuine. It's got so much heart. Yeah. Kind of makes up for it. And the sum of all of its parts, I've not met anyone yet who's like, this movie sucks. Yeah. So much fun. It's just like, it's it one really of those movies, is. like, it just melts your heart from start to finish. Yeah. Um, can't say that enough. So that's probably what I would say is, that's what I think is bad about yeah. it. What about you? I'm trying to think of any <laughs> criticisms really of it because I really love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I remember the only time I remember really kind of going, eh, is uh, actually the parents. Um, yeah. the parents were a little cringy at times, which I think was 
at times were supposed to, it was supposed Definitely, to be like yes. that. So the third time I was um, trying to wonder about that. I'm like, are they supposed to be cringy? And I think, yes, they yeah. are supposed to be. It was just like, welcome to our happy family. And he's yeah. just kind of like, mm. like, he's I like, think in order is, yeah, to have yeah. his reaction, you kind of have to make them a little bit cringy, but, yeah. um, yeah, they, they did all right. Um, let me think of what else I've been bad about the movie. Um, yeah, I would say I would say there are sometimes with the younger actors the lines don't don't come short. I would say there are some other supporting actors. I would say the one lady who uh, gets uh, melted when Savannah opens the door. The oh scene. yeah, that is one thing. She's she's not delivering like her performance is pretty wooden. But this is so nitpicky. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really reaching to find bad stuff with this movie. That was one thing that I noticed, though, when I watched it last time was, um, why did she melt? Yeah. Like, because no one else does. Like, everyone else who touches the door, they're fine. But why did she in particular melt? It yeah. Kind of just, it was, it was more of like for effect, like a whoa, you know, type yeah. of effect. But it, it just, it's like, it didn't really make sense. Me, I'm such a, like, I'm such a weird guy when I'm like, cool yeah because <laughs> it, like, it reminds you of like uh raiders of the lost Ark. yes you yeah. know a lot yeah um and I, I almost wonder if it was maybe just there as kind of a nod to raiders of the lost Ark. yeah but um yeah besides that it really didn't make sense it why doesn't. she would have but you yeah. know it's still cool and, i would know. say there's some time things weird in there so like yeah this is this is so nitpicky i'm like i shouldn't really be not nitpicking this movie as much as it is because i genuinely loved it yeah uh, I would say there's one thing is that um, Savannah's dad is still running the company like 40 years after the initial first scene and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But like if his dad, like let's say at the beginning of the movies in like his like late 30s, early 40s, that means he's like 80. Yeah. In the one scene where he comes back to kill him. Not to mention that he already yeah. looks like an old man in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, but like they don't but they don't change anything. Like they don't really age him up too yeah, much. Yeah, they don't like shave scene. him or like, you know, make his hair. Yeah, they don't even get an older like actor like, add any prosthetics really. He looks like an old man from the beginning. Yeah, and he looks the same. I'm like, well at the end it's like, oh he aged well. Yeah. The kind of thing I'm like, uh that's the one thing where I'm like, yeah, that sort of takes yeah. me out of the movies when I see stuff like that. Um but again. Nitpicky. So nitpicky, so small. Some of the parts of this movie are spectacular. Uh, and also this movie also, it relies heavily on animation at times uh, for some of the action sequences, but this movie's not an action film. It's so much more of an adventure. Yeah. Uh, adventure movie. It's like, you know, you don't consider E.T. an action film. It's a lot like that. And I'd say this movie's sort of up there with the genre-bending comic book films where it's like, it, it's, it's got good action. It's got good superhero moments, but that's what they are. They're not like more action moments or superhero moments, yeah. and they're great. It reminds me more of like Christopher Reeve's Superman than like Man of Steel, Superman, or Wonder Woman or something mm -hmm. like that. Like so much Which more is of it. Fun. It's, it's really, fun. really fun it's to so watch. So much fun, and I would say that it's going to age like the Christopher Reeve Superman is, mm -hmm. where like the effects don't hold up, but it's got so much heart. And I still like, love to watch it. I still love though. to watch it. Like, yeah. I'm like, this movie's so old, but it's so genuinely, like, fun. And I think that's what Shazam is. That's how it's going to age. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Captain Marvel now. <laughs> My um, favorite. I, I, like, I like this movie. I, I would say I love this movie because I love superhero films. I love comic book films in general. It's really got to be bad for me to say I don't like a movie, especially with the Marvel film. Yeah. But you're you're more bold about things, so I, just yeah, uh, I'm I'm definitely more of an extreme person when it comes yeah. to stuff. Like I either really like it or I don't. Which 
I will say, I don't hate Captain Marvel, but I just don't think it's that great either. Like, I don't, yeah. like, everybody's like, oh, Captain Marvel's amazing. It's, like, the best thing ever. And blah. and I'm like, no, it really isn't. It kind of just fell flat. It's, like, yeah. your average, it's you not, know. It's it's too average. That's the it's thing. It's too average. I think that's what like, I was talking about so at the beginning. Yeah, it's, like, even with the nonlinear storytelling, which was bold, it's still really predictable. Yeah. I knew from the beginning Jude Law's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I'm like, no question. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a flip where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, the scroll's going to be a good guy. Jude Law's going to be the it's like, guy. surprise, yeah, but not it's, really. It's not, it's, it's like not even joyfully, it's not even joyfully uh, predict, predictable. It's yeah. not even fun. It's sort of like, I don't know. Um, I don't like that part. I don't like, I have one thing that's great about Shazam is that it makes sense why, um, Shazam the superhero is an intolerable man child is that because he is a man child he's yeah. a child in a man's body I thought Captain Marvel was just so smug and yeah. I'm like I'm like I'm like she had no reason to be and I'm like why are you so mean to people <laughs> that kind of thing I'm like you're so smug and you're such a wiseacre about things and stuff like that especially to Nick Fury and I'm like dude's trying to help you and you're just shooting him down all the time and yeah. stuff like that and making I'm like, I get it. Like, that's sort of what Marvel heroes have become. Sort yeah. Of the Tony Stark wiseacre and stuff like that. Everybody is just But with Tony Stark, he's an arrogant jerk. But I'm like, I don't get her arrogance in this movie. That kind of thing. I get maybe in thematically where it's like, yeah, she's a woman. She's had to work hard mm-hmm. to get to a place of power. So maybe she has a chip on her shoulder just because that's who she is. Yeah. But I felt, I felt like it took me out of the movie at times where I was like, I wish she was, I don't know, maybe this is sexist. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, like, why aren't you more gentle, honey? Like, I like, no. <laughs> no, so I in that case, I take it back. Thing. I don't, I didn't really feel the reason why she had this chip on her shoulder. Um, other than it was trying to sort of maybe pay homage to like Tom Cruise and Top Gun and stuff like that. Yeah, that's there was true. No, that's, a, that's a good point. But there was no payoff to that, that kind of thing. And she, like, had reason, I guess, because she was beat down her whole life and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I take it back. I don't mind that as much. Um, I don't like how blandly it's shot. Yeah. It's sort of a straightforward film. There's not really... There's one scene, I think, that's pretty visually striking, and that's the scene where they go to the planet yeah. to take out the scrolls. And even any of the stuff that takes place on the Kree homeworld is pretty visually striking. But all the stuff that takes place on Earth is so flat. It is. It's very boring. It's very boring. There's not much drama to anything. It's sort of a really stale film. Um, I do like the last showdown scene with her and Jude Law. I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool. It's really shot wide and it's sort of like a Western. Yeah. But like in between that, there's not much there visually. Nope. Um, And uh, also it it falls prey to the... um, you know, they, the, the actors get in shape, but that's about it. You know, as far as these roles, like, you know, you're not going to get the, uh, uh, the actors training for months on their like fight choreography and stuff like that. So it's really obvious when it's a stunt woman doing Captain Marvel's fight sequences and things where it's like, Oh yeah, that wasn't Brie Larson doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, that was, um, what's her name? Who does um, black widow stunts and things like that. Right. Yeah. So maybe that also helped with that sort of also was like, yeah, you don't really see, you know, Captain Marvel doesn't do much. Brie Larson as Captain Marvel doesn't really do much besides walk around and stand there on screen. Even at the end when she's fully powered, you can tell she's animated, Mm -hmm. you know, like she's a CGI double. Um, Which I have to say, people might shoot me for saying this, but I actually don't 
really like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Really? I think they could have picked someone better, which normally I like Brie Larson. Like, I loved her in Room. Um, there's been other performances. Scott Pilgrim. Yes, actually. <laughs> loved her in that. But I feel like she just, I don't know if it's how she was directed to act or what, but she, the character just felt so bland altogether. It's like, there's been so much hype around this. Like, um, oh yeah, so after Infinity War, like, she's gonna, they, that's who they call when everything goes south and like half the planet gets wiped out yeah um and there's you know everyone's always saying like oh yeah she's definitely like the most powerful um superhero in the whole bunch and everything and they're calling on her and then she's just kind of bland yeah like she is it, it was very underwhelming when yeah. i finally saw it i was expected to, i was expecting to be blown out of the water and of course you know in well, my mind here's something also is that she felt like captain america you know? Yeah. Where it's like, I like Captain America, though. I felt actually Chris Evans had more charisma in his first performance. Well, he than... has more personality. Yeah. Like, like I, I feel like she just doesn't have when a lot of personality. When you have a franchise that's built on characters with so much charisma behind mm. them, with so much character, she really falls flat. Yeah, because I feel like they just picked her. Like, it feels like Marvel is just like, yeah, we're going to do a female-led movie. We're going to choose a woman who is pretty and blonde, and that will carry the entire movie. Yeah, and then she has an Oscar nomination, that she, an Oscar win that she deserved. Yeah, absolutely. She's her. a great actress, but I feel uh, like that's just kind of the what they went for, and I yeah. I, I don't know why. Because seen someone maybe with more, but the thing is, is that like her Oscar win wasn't as someone who was charming, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's something maybe I wish it would have leaned more into with Captain Marvel in, in her, <laughs> that's as weird as it sounds, but in Room, you have a woman who's abused and like, uh, and you believe Brie Larson, like her character, like she has a responsibility mm -hmm. that she never wanted on her shoulders in room. How much more interesting that would have been as yeah. Captain Marvel if she had been sort of channeling that. Yeah. Even you know? not as charming, I would say, but more yeah. just like believable. I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah. I, like she just wasn't believable in this. Yeah. It's, um, I've never seen her really, uh, like I've seen her give strong performances as strong women, strong women, but different strong women than yeah. this. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to compare, but like, if you want to look at like good female-led superhero films, you, know, you can't go better with one than Wonder Woman, of yeah. course. Wonder but, Woman. But let's look at like Wonder amazing. Woman. What makes her great is that um, she's not invulnerable to everything. You mm -hmm. know, and I think maybe that's something Brie Larson didn't bring is that she didn't bring in the main thrust of the story, in the flashbacks, she definitely is vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but there's just no moment where it's like, you really feel like, my whole life is a lie. It's yeah, that it's, I remember, you know? It's very hard to connect to her character. Whereas like you know? Wonder Woman, they really focus on that in one mm -hmm. spot where she realizes, oh, my life is a lie. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. And you could say there's a similarities with Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman where it's like, she's been led to believe one thing. And then as she goes throughout the movie, she learns that it's not the case. Yeah. But it just, and, but in uh, Wonder Woman, it was so powerful. Like that transition. Yeah, there's this one moment. It's very finding memorable. Finding out what she can do After, and her past. Yeah. We um, saw Captain Marvel in IMAX. We saw Wonder Woman in IMAX. And I've seen only, I only saw Wonder Woman in theaters once. I only saw Captain Marvel in theaters once. Mm -hmm. But I could tell you every story beat, every reaction, emotional reaction that Wonder Woman has in Wonder Woman. I can't tell you that much about Brie Larson in this film. That's yeah. just me. 
I'm not saying other people shouldn't love this film because yeah, like, no. there's a lot to love. And Matt would probably get on here. And he was on here, and I <laughs> yeah. know he adored this movie, and with good reason. There's a lot to adore in this film. But I think for you and me as moviegoers, mm-hmm. there's like we needed, we wanted something more from Brie Larson in this film, well, which she might bring in an Endgame. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping so because yeah. I mean it, it it was just more disappointing, especially you know as a girl, like being able to finally get female-led superhero movies. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, we're finally getting this. You better make it good. This is the first Marvel female-led movie. Yeah, like come on like it just felt like because with when wonder woman came out like there were huge expectations on this movie because wonder woman is so iconic you know and they blew it out of the water and i going in with the highest expectations was i just wow maybe it was incredible yeah and i think that was definitely the part here but you know with marvel having a better reputation for making good quality movies you would have just expected more because i felt like like with well, they just Black didn't Panther. even tr- yeah with Black Panther yeah. they put so much love and uh, like Ryan Coogler really cared about that movie yeah. you can tell from behind the like camera. everyone like on every angle everyone yeah. cared about Black Panther and it was amazing so I thought well naturally since this is the first you know female led uh, movie for Marvel they're gonna put that same amount of love into it and they just kind of didn't you know they were yeah. it was like they didn't care and they were you know, expecting people to love it naturally just because it's, you know, a female-led. And then also, you know, they, because they're so excited about um, Clues for Infinity War, like maybe they thought it could just ride on that. Like it just, yeah, I don't know. Like it could have done so much better. I, I, I've not watched anything else that the filmmakers have done, but it, it, you know, we're in the minority here as far as our opinions on this film, because yeah. like this movie grossed a billion dollars really fast. For sure. Like yeah. Black Panther did, mm-hmm. like Infinity War did. So it's like, you know what, like, this movie did strike a chord, it's just not with us. Yeah. Um, so, what uh, I would say, so the next question Matt has down is, um, what would we have done to fix the movies? And I think we just went through what yeah, we, we did. fixed with, with Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah. So, with Shazam, I think I would like, uh, with all superhero films, I would trust practical film methods more than computer animation. Mm-hmm. I would say that was Shazam. Is that, like, you know what? Like, what if you shot it like you, like how you would have done in the 70s, like with mm-hmm. the Christopher Reeve film, and then gone back in and cleaned it up digitally? And we've seen movies where they do that, like Christopher Nolan does that on all his films, where like, you know, Interstellar, he shot it all practically stuff that like, you know, anyone would do, like Marvel would do with all computer animation. Yeah. But then he just went in with computer animation and cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other movies that, I mean, like recently First Man did that too, yeah. where it's like we shot, shot it all practically, but then went in with computer animation and cleaned things up. Yeah. It's great. It's gorgeous. Blade Runner 2049 did that as well, where it's like a lot of it's all models, you know, but then going back in with computer animation and cleaning up things. Um, I would like to have seen that more with Shazam, where mm-hmm. I was like, you know, why don't you do it more like an 80s film? Yeah. Where the creatures are real, you know, where you have the guys on strings and stuff like that. But let me tell you, from what I understand, being in harnesses are incredibly uncomfortable. So I'm sure Zachary Levi, Mark Strong were like, the less time I have to spend in a freaking harness, the better. So yeah. if you can animate me while I'm flying, that would be so great. Um, and then I would say the same thing with uh, Hellboy is um, either give it more money, let the director do what he wants. Um, we went to see this with my brother and he made a good point after it. He was like, he was like, man, if only... 
Hellboy 3 done by Guillermo del Toro had focused on the King Arthur stuff. Yeah. You know, that's how we would have fixed it. You know, it was like, this movie, I think, cost around $50, $60 million to make. Pretty low budget, considering that was what the first Hellboy cost back in 2004. And judging with inflation, so that means they spent even less yeah. on this film. Um, just give that money to Del Toro, you know, that kind of thing. Let him finish off his saga, you know, like his, his trilogy of films. They should have just done that, you know it would have made as much as this movie did for sure, you know, yeah. like, and probably more, you know, like, because yep. Del Toro's got a huge following. He does. And he's coming off of an Oscar win, you know, for best picture for Shape of Water. Just give him the money to make a <laughs> Hellboy film. Get Ron Perlman back. Tell it, like, you know, complete the story. Tell the Arthurian legend with the Blood Queen and everything without having to worry about setting up the whole franchise. Yeah. Bring back Abe and Liz, the characters that we love. You know, um, yeah, bring back those characters. Uh, give us Hellboy 3. That's, what, that's how the movie should have been fixed. Um, or like we talked about, just, just, you know, not have wasted money on a stupid credit sequence. Yeah. Put the money where the money should be. Yeah, or also look at what the old films did, um, especially the second Hellboy. So much of that, again, is practical. Like, mm -hmm. you know practical makeup, practical prosthetics, practical sets, that kind of stuff. It lended itself so much better. And then you look at Shape of Water, look at what the guy who's like, you know, the modern monster movie, like master, you just look what Del Toro's doing and copy him. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just do what you can on camera, that kind of thing. Like, so that means like use force ghosts instead of like stupid phlegmy, vomit yeah. ghosts and stuff like that you know yeah. or just have them on set you know that kind of thing we'll believe that they're ghosts you know we're not idiots um yeah what could have been what could have been with hellboy yeah. could have been hellboy 3 instead of just hellboy 2019 yeah um so what do you expect for the next movie in this series uh captain marvel you know all the villains are still alive in the end mm -hmm. so and there's all there's 20 years between First Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. So yeah. there's like a whole slew of films in between there. For sure. And all intergalactic. So you don't have to worry about it messing up continuity anywhere else. Yeah. So um, I expect some great romps in the future for mm -hmm. Captain Marvel. Um, Shazam 2, obviously Black Adam was sort of teased in this movie. And The Rock has been yeah. like, you know, we want to do a Black Adam movie and then we want to do a, a Shazam and Black Adam film. That would be so cool. Yes. So like, love that. that would be great. But it would also be great if that's the third movie and we get another movie with Mr. Mind, who's the little worm guy at the end of the film. Because in the comics, he's the Mr. Mind in the Society of Evil. So you have all these monsters and stuff like that that come after Shazam and things. So that could be what we would expect for the sequel. Mm -hmm. There's also only six superheroes with the power of Shazam and there are seven thrones. So yeah. So that's a big question. That's a big question. There. If that's black Adam's seat, is he going to be the seventh throne in the comics? There's a, there's a tiger. So cool. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see him come in. That's what I would Which expect. You, you were telling me earlier that that's that tiger, like in the comics gets like the power. Of Shazam, yeah. He gets right? the power of Shazam. Yeah. How awesome is that? that? A superhero really cool. tiger. <laughs> yes. I would love to see that. It would also play in with the nostalgia because, you know, the most famous superpower tiger is, um, oh, dang it, what's his name from He-Man? Cringer. 
yeah, Battle Cat, that kind of thing. Like, that would be great. And people yeah. would be like, oh, we get a He-Man reference up on screen. Um, then uh, Hellboy is not going to happen. Yeah. What I would like to expect is a Netflix show. That actually would be really cool because would, to have an episodic. Yes. Um, a Supernatural-esque episodic Hellboy show. Yeah, because, I mean, look at what they're doing now with, like, the other Netflix shows like uh, Sabrina Stranger and Things. Stranger Things. Like, totally, it would lend itself to that yeah. so well. And then, like, um, I've not watched it, but I know Star Trek Discovery on the NBC app, which is like a really high profile streaming show. And it's got mm-hmm. great reviews. Um, Doug Jones, who played Abe Sapien in the original Hellboys on that show. And oh, he's cool. in like full creature makeup, that whole show, you know, get something of that budget, but the stories of something like supernatural or Sabrina mm-hmm. tell it episodically. Hellboy doesn't even have to be a main character, just be the BPRD. And he could just come in periodically and get, we could all get really excited when yeah. Hellboy's in an episode, you know? <laughs> when you on, say that like i'm imagining cheers and norm <laughs> yes exactly but it's like norm every other like fifth episode or something like that you know it's like yay hellboy's in this one <laughs> um that's what i would like to expect but i don't think that's gonna happen yeah um I, and also it's a dark horse comic and one of the biggest shows on netflix right now is umbrella academy yeah based on a dark horse comic so it would make Which sense maybe with the flop of this hellboy and with the yeah. huge success of umbrella academy and sabrina maybe they and sabrina yeah maybe they'll take a hint and be like oh maybe and supernatural's ending yeah. so, and that's huge on netflix mm-hmm. like that's where a lot of its audience exists yeah. people need like replacement shows because yeah. they're going to they're like freaking out because Supernatural is ending. Or at least and David Harbour already has a home on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So don't recast Hellboy. Just have David Harbour in there every other episode. Yeah. Um, it would make a lot of sense. It would. And Daniel Day Kim's a T. Again, I'm like, I know. Just have him drop the accent. His character would be a lot more compelling. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, Daimyo, the Jaguar man. Yeah. Bring him back. He's a good TV actor. He's affordable. You could have him on episodically. Same with the girl. Just have her drop the accent, you know? Yeah. It worked for Scarlet Witch in Infinity War. It did. You know, she dropped it completely. We'll be okay with that. Just write her as a compelling character. Did she have an accent in the other movies? Yeah, yeah. It's like in Ultron and in really? Civil War. Yeah, like really bad Russian accent. Well, oh, then, I yeah. do remember that now. Yeah. 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 And then it's completely gone in Infinity War. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I never noticed that, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, so I think, I think that's... Uh, you know, that's, um, I think that's our, our end discussion. Um, Matt has one question because he's a Marvel fanatic. Um, what do we think Captain Marvel's role is going to be in Endgame coming out this week? Hmm. You go ahead, start us off. Ooh. Or do you want to think about it? I'll, I'll just you know, say. actually, I kind of want to think about it because okay. I'm like, I don't really, yeah, you, you start. All right. I think, uh, I think she's going to be the one who knows where Thanos is. And I think she's going to be the one that gets the ship fixed up with rocket and nebula to go out and fight um thanos and then of course she's going to be the powerhouse in the final battle as well she's going to be one of the powerhouses um with fighting thanos in the end um i think you know we saw some great moments with her and thor in the trailer Mm -hmm. of course i'm just more excited to see rocket interact with everybody that's basically my favorite he's my favorite character that's true that is gonna with as kind of like a more smug personality as uh, captain marvel is it'll be really funny to see her interact with rocket yes and i I would love to see their interactions um love to see her and captain america her in the comics they're very similar characters and they Mm -hmm. get along really well that makes sense they're both leaders 
you know, and they're both, um, both military, both military. So that's, that's going to be that. really cool. So yeah, her and Rhodey and Cap are going to have a cool military sort of approach to fighting Thanos in the mm-hmm. end, I'm guessing. Um, I'm looking forward to Endgame. I'm really excited. Yeah, um, me too. I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, as long as it's got great superhero moments, I'm now I'm going to love it and Rocket Raccoon's in it. So yeah. So there's love, love me some Rocket Raccoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, that's about it for this episode. Um, I know it's probably a long one. I hope you enjoy listening to me and my wife talk about superhero films. Yay. I uh, just want to, um, plug, uh, some projects going right now. Um, My Kingdom for a Panel Kickstarter is still live on Kickstarter for the next couple of days. Uh, There's some great rewards on there. Uh, $10 gets you a digital copy of the book. $20 gets you a physical and digital copy of the book. And then from so on there forth, you know, there are different tiers and different rewards. I know at one point uh, we had talked about maybe um, some of the artists who are working on the books doing some sketches as an award um, for donating to this. So donate uh get my kingdom for a panel off matt and i have a great short story in there based on romeo and juliet um and it's a sci-fi retelling of that story it's called wherefore are you so it was really fun to do it was really meaningful meaningful for me to work on at the time um i know matt's proud of it as well uh also matt has another um anthology that he and uh Wilson Gandolfo um, are a part of that's called the Wide Faith Anthology and him and Wilson have a short story in there as well. Um, donate to that if you can. Um, also, I just completed a children's book called Otto the Otter Takes a Bath. Um, it is on Amazon. You can just look up Otto the Otter Takes a Bath. It's by Lauren Pichon and me, Noah Ray, on the, as the illustrator. It's a really sweet story. It's a lot more family friendly than our Romeo <laughs> and Juliet story. So if you're really depressed after reading the Romeo and Juliet story and my kingdom for a panel, hop over to Amazon, purchase Otto takes the otter, Otto the Otter takes the bath and have a really sweet time. It's a really sweet children's story written by Lauren. Um, and it's really, really adorable. It's like, adorable. You're going to be going, yeah. oh, like it's a, it's so many times cute story. through this book. Yeah. Um, uh, Rebecca, if you're in the uh, Shenandoah Valley area, um, Rebecca, you want to pitch Ring of Fire? Oh, yeah. So I am, uh, I love theater. So right now I am involved in a show called Ring of Fire, which is a show based on the life of Johnny Cash. And it, it's more of a concert, I would say, than it is a story. Um, so it's four guys and four girls um, that are the main singers. And we're going to be going through like, around 30, I think, (laughs) uh, Johnny Cash songs. And we're also going to be kind of going through um, his life and um, uh, I guess how that went in the story of, you know, how he became Johnny Cash. And we also have like amazing musicians that will also be on stage. So we're going to have an amazing live band. It is, it's going to be awesome. Like we've got a pile of talent and, yeah, don't want to miss it. It is only one weekend, but it's um, five shows, so it's May uh, 9th through 12th, and it will be Thursday evening, Friday evening, and then Saturday there's a matinee, and then there's one Saturday evening, and then also Sunday. So yeah, get your tickets at shenanarts.org. It is in Stanton. Um, I believe you can get it at the door as well, but I would highly suggest getting them online. Yep, and if you're in the Virginia area, Shenandoah Valley, highly recommend it. Um, 
you know, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, our Twitter is constructcompod, no ing after the construct, just constructcompod. Our Instagram is constructingcomicspod, and our Facebook is facebook.com slash constructingcomic. Um, thank you again for listening. If you could rate and review our podcast, that would be great. It helps get the word out about this podcast. And again, just thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Rebecca, for being on here this time and talking movies. And we'll have an episode real soon. Bye.